Hi, I'm Bobby Bascom, and today on the Living on Earth podcast, we'll take a look at how undocumented farm workers in the United States are extremely vulnerable to the coronavirus. But first, your support helps make it possible to bring you this podcast, so please contribute what you can. $5 or more makes a difference. You can donate right now at LOE.org. And thanks. Meat supplies are getting tight in the U.S. as processing plants have become hot spots for the COVID-19 virus. With at least 17 workers dead, thousands more sickened, and dozens of meatpacking plants shut down. Meatpacking assembly lines are crowded with low-wage workers. Many of them are undocumented immigrants, much like the workers who harvest and process the produce grown in the U.S. United Farm Workers spokesman Mark Grossman says farm workers are also at high risk in the face of the pandemic. Mark Grossman joins me now. Welcome to Living on Earth. Pleasure to be with you. So please tell me first about the average farm worker in the United States. Um, who are they? Where are they from? And, and what's their daily life like? Well, even before the pandemic hit, farm workers face daunting challenges. We know that, you know, they're mostly immigrant today in very low paying jobs, with the exception of a small number that are protected by union contracts. They have few, if any, benefits. They must live, commute, and work under uh, very close quarters, often in substandard and unsanitary and crowded conditions. We know from the U.S. Department of Labor that at least half are undocumented, which makes them even more vulnerable to abuse. But all of these factors make them uniquely vulnerable to the pandemic. And when the pandemic began, the UFW first went directly to individual growers who were under union contract. And some companies under contract changed picking practices and styles, even if productivity was reduced to enforce social distancing, implemented other social distancing practices, had training, including crew meetings, to educate workers about what they should do. But those responses only highlight the urgent need for more widespread action at non-union companies. And there, although some employers are stepping up, many are not. And, you know, we've all seen the shelves of the supermarkets on paper goods and toilet paper and so on empty. But imagine if the pandemic takes hold in the farm worker community, what would happen to the nation's food supply? So those sound like really good common sense precautions to take for essential workers who, again, you know, are, are providing food for the country. But how common would you say those types of precautions are within the industry? You know, we, we have an expression that the laws on the books are not necessarily the laws in the fields. California leads a nation in protective laws and regulations for farm workers everything from minimum wages and hours to pesticide protections to sexual harassment. But there is too often a, a gap between what the laws and the regulations and the government agencies require and the actual enforcement and implementation in the fields. And a lot of these workers are here temporarily from other countries and I assume have temporary housing. What does that look like for them? Well, the housing, and these are H-2A guest workers, is usually barracks-style housing where people are packed in closely together in beds or bunks 
it's very difficult to enforce social distancing. And if someone gets sick, unless special preparations are made to quarantine them, then that becomes a big challenge too. And if they do get sick, do they have access to health care while they're here? No. You know, that that's a big problem because the great majority of farm workers and non-union companies do not have health care. And, you know, one of the problems on paid sick leave is that some growers have made it difficult for workers to actually claim it. Sometimes they require a doctor's note, but since most workers have no health care, they don't have doctors. Or some companies have a waiting period, 30, 90 days, before new workers can claim sick leave benefits if they exist. So all of those things represent challenges that must be overcome quickly if paid sick leave is going to become a reality. Now, you said that as many as 50% of farm workers are here illegally. How possible is it then that they're putting themselves at even higher risk of deportation right now going to work when there are so uh, many fewer people out and about in the world? Is that something you're concerned about? You know, when on the UFW social media platforms, many workers respond to the news that they're now officially considered essential workers with anger. Because they say, well, now they think we're essential workers, but they don't have essential benefits and protections that other essential workers have enjoyed for some of them for generations. Minimum wages and hours, the Fair Labor Standards Act, the federal law from the New Deal granting industrial workers something as simple as overtime after eight hours a day excludes farm workers back in 1938. And it was only in 2016 that the UFW got a law passed in California that provides phased-in overtime after eight hours a day over a four-year period. So these essential workers often do not have the essential benefits that protect everybody else. Hazard pay. Hundreds of thousands of workers in the retail food industry have been provided sometimes a dollar, $2 an hour or more in additional pay because they're putting their lives at risk by going to work, stocking the supermarket shelves. Well, farm workers are also essential workers, and they take their lives in their hands when they go to work. Why shouldn't they get the same recognition? And how concerned are they that while going to work and performing this essential service, they might get deported on their way? I mean, is ICE still targeting these workers just as much as they were before the pandemic? I believe ICE has indicated that they're holding up on enforcement actions in the interior of the country. But remember, for years, there has been a palpable fear by farm workers just in going to work. So, you know, that in addition to the danger of exposing themselves and their family members to infections, many undocumented farm workers find it very difficult to abandon their fear of being apprehended and deported. You know, last December, the U.S. House of Representatives passed a bill for the first time in decades, an agricultural immigration bill that would allow undocumented farm workers already in this country to earn the legal right to permanently stay by continuing to work in agriculture. The bill is now in the United States Senate, and it was passed on a bipartisan vote. 34 Republicans in the House voted for the measure. 
And it would go a long way in eliminating the fear and the terror that undocumented farm workers live with every day. So, I mean, it, it seems like we're in a situation where these farm workers are considered essential today, but could still be deported six months from now when hopefully this pandemic has passed and things go back to normal. Is that really what we're looking at? We hope that Americans use the pandemic as an opportunity to really examine themselves and their society and equity issues like the denial of essential rights and benefits to farm workers that has gone on for too long. So we're hoping that people use this as an opportunity for reflection, much needed reflection on eliminating the inequities and the injustices that have plagued farm workers and other people who are vulnerable. Mark Grossman is a spokesman for United Farm Workers and former assistant and speechwriter for Cesar Chavez. Mark, thank you so much for um, taking this time with me today. My pleasure. Thank you. For more, I'm joined now by Living Honors Paloma Beltran. Paloma is in Mexico, just a few miles south of the border in Baja, California now, riding out the pandemic with her family. And she's been digging into the story of the coronavirus and agricultural workers for us. Hey, Paloma, how are you? Hi, Bobby. I'm good. I'm happy to be safely isolating with my mom and my sister here. How are you? Oh, good. Lots of family time. Nice. I'm glad. So you recently spoke with a farm worker who's struggling through the pandemic. Um, Can you tell me about him, please? Yes. um, I talked to a man named Jesus. He's 45 years old and he's originally from central Mexico, but he has been an agricultural worker in California for almost 20 years. He makes about $13 an hour before taxes at a non-union farm and is just about to start the cherry picking season. And then he'll move on to the grapes in June. But of course, that's only if there's enough demand for those products. Already, his hours have been cut from 10 hours a day to 8 hours a day. And he is really worried about the economy and hopes that it all opens up soon. He says, if we don't work, we don't eat. And Jesus is not just worried about himself. He sends money back to his parents, wife and kids in Mexico each month. And that's their main source of income. He says, I hope God spares me from getting sick because I need to work to provide for my family. He's really scared, Bobby. And Jesus is undocumented, so he can't easily travel to Mexico. He's already crossed the desert three times to go back home and visit his family. And that's in the lapse of 20 years that he's been here in the United States. But he hasn't been back in 11 years now, and he's missed birthdays, graduations, and funerals. He says it's just too expensive now. He'd have to pay up Pollero about $10,000 to cross the desert and get back to the United States. Wow, that sounds so stressful. Um, What is he doing to keep himself safe and, and avoid getting the virus? Well, Jesus says it's really hard because his employers aren't providing anything other than soap and water to help him and his co-workers stay safe. He says we have to buy our own face masks or wear scarves to protect ourselves and we wash our hands as much as possible. 
Some employers are encouraging social distancing, but it's really hard to distance yourself when you're working in the agriculture industry. It's really a hands-on job that requires teamwork and a lot of face-to-face -face interaction. He says, we work in tight groups of 15, 20, 25 people, and everyone works close together. So everyone is scared of getting sick. We don't have health insurance. If we get sick, we would have to pay healthcare costs out of pocket from the little savings we have. And Bobby, I get the impression he feels a bit of resentment about the lack of support. He says the United States is highly dependent on immigrant farm workers like him, and he also contributes to the economy. Farm workers pay taxes just like everyone else, he says, including federal taxes. So he doesn't understand why the federal government is not supporting them as essential workers during this pandemic. Jesus does have documents that say he is an essential worker so he can continue to commute to work. And for now, ICE has stated that they will not be focusing on deportations. And Jesus is not too worried. But he doesn't have a visa. So in theory, he could still get deported. Right, and it sounds like his story is pretty common across the industry. Yes, it is, Bobby. Jesus says he is worried for people who work across the agriculture commodity chain. People who work in packing facilities, shipping, and managerial roles. And as we've mentioned earlier, more than half of field workers in the U.S. are like Jesus, undocumented. So they face very similar challenges. Jesus also told me that he talks a lot with his co-workers about the virus. And there is a general fear of getting sick and losing their jobs. They're just feeling sad, you know, missing family that's so far away. Right. Gosh, it's such a difficult position to be in. And Bobby, it seems like the people who work with farm workers are also having a really hard time dealing with the virus. I reached out to several California farms, the California Farm Labor Contract Association, to try and get a comment for this story. But all of them either declined to comment or did not get back in time for this broadcast. Right. Well, this pandemic is certainly challenging for everyone. For sure. All right. Well, thanks for bringing us this story, Paloma. You're welcome. Stay safe there. You too. I'll talk to you soon. That's Living on Earth's Paloma Beltran from her family home in Mexicali, Mexico. We're spending a lot of time indoors these days, and indoor air can affect our health, creativity, and productivity. For some insights, we'll be hosting a free live-streamed conversation with renowned Harvard public health expert Joe Allen. He'll be talking about his new book, Healthy Buildings, and exploring how we can design indoor spaces to maximize our well-being. The event is May 12th at 6.30 Eastern. To learn more about this and other events in our Goodreads on Earth series, visit the Living on Earth website, loe.org events. 
In response to the coronavirus outbreak, much human activity has come to an abrupt stop. In fact, scientists say the Earth has actually become more still in the months since we've stayed home. Living on Earth's Isaac Merson reports in today's Science Note. As people around the globe shelter at home, an unusual calm has come to the surface of the Earth. In fact, our reduced activity in physical movement can actually be measured using seismographs, instruments used to detect earthquakes and measure the minute movement of the Earth beneath our feet. Seismographs are extremely sensitive. They sense vibrations caused by sources as varied as the wind moving across the surface of the Earth, the crash of waves on the shore, the hum of pressure as gases bubble up through cracks and seams in the crust of the Earth. And they also detect vibrations caused by human activities, such as the movement of vehicles or the pounding of industrial machinery. All these vibrations create a background, which can be hard for Earth scientists to tease apart. But in the weeks since governments have issued orders to stay at home, seismograph data from around the world has shown a tremendous decrease in the amount of these ambient seismic vibrations. One seismograph, located at the Royal Observatory of Belgium, showed a greater than 30% decrease in the total background vibrations in the weeks since Belgium instructed its citizens to stay home. And Brussels isn't alone. Seismographs from Los Angeles, London, and Barcelona have shown similar or even larger reductions. Now, in the absence of some of that muddy background data, scientists may be able to gather important information about the influence of other sources of ambient vibrations, such as the exact contributions of the ocean. This may help us better predict future earthquake events, especially in highly populated urban areas. In the meantime, the relative stillness of the Earth's crust could allow seismologists to better detect seismic events happening right now, as the signal may come through more clearly with less competing noise, like a radio signal with less static. For Living on Earth, I'm Isaac Merson. Living on Earth is produced by the World Media Foundation. Our crew includes Naomi Ehrenberg, Paloma Beltran, Thurston Briscoe, Jenny Doring, Jay Feinstein, Marilyn Hajiomeri, Candace C. G, Don Lyman, Isaac Merson, Ainsley O'Neill, Jake Rigo, and Yolanda Omari. Tom Tiger engineered our show. Allison Lierish-Dean composed our themes. You can hear us anytime at LOE.org, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And like us, please, on our Facebook page, Living on Earth. We tweet from at Living on Earth. And find us on Instagram at Living on Earth Radio. Steve Kerwitt is our executive producer. I'm Bobby Bascom. Thanks for listening. Support for Living on Earth comes from Sailors for the Sea and Oceana, helping boaters race clean, sail green, and protect the seas they love. More information at sailorsforthesea.org. PR.